0: Hello and welcome to the 160th of a Second Photography podcast and today I'm joined in my conversation with Brian and Brian would you just mind introducing yourself please? Yeah so I'm Brian Murley, and I generally exist online
1: as P4 Pictures. I'm a a photographer and I'm also a tutor. I train a lot of photographers, Uh, I write for camera magazines and and, um, also I do training for some of the companies in the photography industry
0: fantastic thank you very much Brian so today's topic is HDR HDR is certainly something I've shot with have you ever used HDR Brian
1: I've used it sometimes in the past it's not a a big thing for me I mean I think HDR is perhaps is better suited to more uh, static subjects I mean I tend to do a lot of people um, action stuff where HDR really doesn't help a great deal
0: no, I mean, you, you have hit the nail on the head there. It's not something that is suitable for everything. Quite a lot of smartphones now use HDR, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But just to sort of introduce what HDR is, it stands for High Dynamic Range. And essentially, a camera sensor can't capture the dynamic range we see through our eyes. So it can only capture a limited dynamic range. And what HDR does is it takes three exposures or your camera takes three exposures and in software they are stitched together to give a better dynamic range. So a good example of where you might want to shoot HDR is if you have an incredibly bright light like a sky and an incredibly dark area, your camera would normally pick one of those it would either expose for the bright area or it could expose for the dark area, but you can't capture both. So HDR would allow you to capture capture both those ranges as best it could. Would you agree with that sort of summary of HDR, Brian? Yeah, I think in the main, any, any medium we've come
1: up with so far, whether it's at sensors or film actually, has a, a, lim- a less range than the human eye. So there's always been workarounds and things required to, capture a wider range of tones
0: correct now you spoke earlier about you in fact you started off with hdr doesn't really shoot your style of shooting it doesn't actually shoot suit my style of shooting in a a great deal the reason being is because it takes three images so even though it takes three images quite quickly if you're shooting a moving subject well between first the second and the third shot your subject has moved so it's actually very difficult to get the images to overlap. And when you don't get the images to overlap, you do get this a phenomenon in HDR called ghosting.
1: Ultimately, people people themselves will move between the frames. So if you're shooting, if you're photographing people, HDR doesn't work for that. I mean, if you perhaps are, are, the person is, let's say, a character in the in the scene rather than the main component of the picture. So there's someone sat on a chair or whatever in a a large room or whatever, then maybe you can get away with it because they're relatively insignificant details. But ultimately, as soon as there's people in there or animals for that matter, it's typically very hard to make HDR work.
0: Yes. I mean, it, it predominantly is used for landscapes and, and architecture. When you do a HDR shot, if a bird flies by, you do see the effect of movement there. You'll see for each bird, you'll see three of them. and And that can be corrected for quite easily in Photoshop or the HDR software itself. With camera sensors evolving, maybe HDR isn't as relevant as it used to be. But when I've taken landscape shots, I've certainly, I've certainly used HDR and I've been pleased with the effect. So on my camera, there is a bracketing function and you can move the brackets one stop, two stop or three stop. I think press the button once and it will take three shots. The first shot is underexposed. The second shot is exposed how you wanted it. And the third shot is normally overexposed by how much you set it. One stop, two stops, three stops. In my, on my camera, it's the shutter speed that varies when doing HDR bracketing shots. So the aperture stays the same, the ISO stays the same, and the, the shutter length changes. And it's actually quite good to take bracketed shots because it means if you're unhappy with one of them, or the exposure is sli- slightly off, it might be you can do... you get a better picture or a single picture from two of the other bracketed ones you did you're a canon user aren't you brian yes i am i'm a canon user you must have exactly the same bracketing system i'm guessing
1: yeah so ultimately i mean there's two there's i guess there's two ways you can do it with canon stuff so pretty much all the cat all the eels cameras that are pretty much come across and I've, and I've had most of them from even film days have had some auto exposure bracketing capability and like you say, it's usually three frames. Actually the Canons start at the correct exposure and then go for under and then over by default. Okay. But you on most of the digitals, more advanced digital SLRs, the more advanced ones, there's an option actually in a custom function to change the order round. So it's possible you've done that. And the reason it's done that way round ultimately is that if you're going to use flash, so it tries to get you the correct exposure to start with. Then it asks for the underexposed one. So it's going to need to use less flash, which gives the flash more time to recharge. And then it does the overexposed one at the end. So that it's given it's had an underexposed flash picture in middle, it should have recharged quick enough for the last one. So that the, the reason it's done that way around. I see. Wow, I've never used flash with HDR again so it depends on the cameras the particular model the cameras you've got but some of them will give you the option of changing the number of shots that it will do in an auto bracket between two three five or seven and usually it's up to a three stop gap between there so if you ended up with seven uh, you'd have quite a lot of frames in a huge range in something like 18 stop range at the most which would give you pretty extreme pretty much a very extensive range of tones for your hdr but the cameras also and quite a lot of them now have in-camera hdr where they you can actually set an hdr capability such that the you can you basically it will take three frames and actually create you the hdr image in the camera so that works with uh, you can you can usually choose to have it save the individual under over and correct exposed frame plus create you the hdr version and i up to find that if i'm going to use hdr at all i often use that because as a way of just checking will hdr actually help me
0: out in this situation because you've got a quick review on the back of the camera have i got the tone range i'm expecting yes i mean certainly my micro four thirds does that and it it's quite a handy sort of feature just turning on HDR when I know I'm going to have challenging lighting. Taking HDR because it's a mirrorless, it takes some excessive, you know, really quickly, and I find that really useful. I've used software and I used to use HDR Soft, which was the sort of go to HDR software, but now Lightroom can do HDR. I've not actually used it in Lightroom. Have you done any HDR in Lightroom yet?
1: HDR in Lightroom, so it's okay. I mean, ultimately, you give it a few RAW files to play with, because obviously, you get, if possible, use a RAW files because you get a greater range out of a RAW file, than you can get out of JPEG anyway. And so, you give it a good group of RAW files, and HD and and Lightroom does pretty much the same as Photoshop will do. We'll go and make an HDR version for, and it's and it's pretty, it's okay actually. You even have the possibility, you know, you can make a virtual copy, shift the exposure from your single RAW file. And then just try it and see. Sometimes that works. That gives you another effect to another way of creating where you've only shot one picture, which does perhaps let you work in in those cases like we talked where people move or things, you could shoot a single one. And if it's well shot, you've usually got a couple of stops adjustment that you can get away with to brighten or dark it. So you could make three three
0: files from one original image and i'm guessing that's going to be quicker than jumping in and doing quite a lot of local adjustments
1: there's, there's multiple you know that's one of the ways to do it i've also done it where i've created from a single file i've made an underexposed and an overexposed version and then sent them in out of lightroom as a, as a stack of, in, of layers into photoshop because then you can play with masking and then just mask it through or get photoshop to try and treat that as an hdr they're all different ways of achieving a similar, a
0: similar kind of result. Mm. And I always think with HDR, it's it's always best to not look like a HDR cliche image. One of the problems with HDR, or one of the problems you can have, is it can look unnatural. And and really, the image shouldn't look unnatural. With HDR, you can certainly pull out more tones, more shadows, while preserving the highlights. When you hear the term HDR, you think, oh, those really bright grungy. I don't quite know how how to explain them in in the vocal medium, those certain HDR images. I think the best
1: way to explain them is horrible. (laughs) But actually, let's say the early days of HDR, certainly in the digital world, a lot of photographers were pushing the boundaries of what made sense just to, hey, look, there's a great new HDR tool or software or technique. And there was quite a lot of images where, to my mind, it was simply Overdone to the extreme, and it gives you that very sharp-edged contrast, very almost over-sharpened look. Lots of halos started appearing around edges. You know, very saturated colours, but and it didn't look real enough. That was the problem.
0: No, and I always found that really for me HDR. I, I was much preferred in black and white actually rather than colour, because you can get quite oversaturated colours. And I was found h- HDR in black and white always worked so much better for me than a color one okay I've,
1: I've rarely done hdr with black and white once or twice usually as a result of just doing a quick test in camera and the camera happened to be set to black and white mode And oh black and white hdr but it's not something i would do as a, a first step for me
0: no um certainly don't don't get me wrong i don't take all my pictures in hdr um and you, you talked earlier about moving subjects. I took a wonderful picture of a, a horse on a sort of a grassy hillside by the sea. And I took that in HDR. And because the horse thankfully stayed still and it was a bright day, I was able to get high enough shutter speed that really I didn't have any ghosting when I pulled it into the HDR software. So I got a really, really good striking image from HDR. But it only looked good in black and white. It, color color it didn't look so good really so it is possible to get them with moving images you just don't you're not going to have a high success rate i mean again i think that i think that's that's the reality is is you, you you probably struck it
1: lucky with your horse to my view hdr is very much more if the camera's on a tripod and the subject's not going to run away then it makes some sense to be going into hdr
0: certainly i mean that the horse was an amazing model very very low maintenance i was really quite lucky with that horse and quite lucky that no one else walked in the picture and no birds walked in the picture but things like going back to movement things like grass can ruin a hdr image because of course the grass can blow or ferns or trees and again even winds Can affect a HDR image just due to that movement.
1: Do you find that the HDR software you use does a good job? Because obviously, if you're—I mean, if you're going to shoot your HDRs and you're shooting them handheld, even though there's a very short gap between each of the three pictures or however many you're shooting, do you find that the software actually aligns the stuff for the pictures for you,
0: or you have to manually kind of align them? I've done it all automatically. The software has a certain tolerance it can compensate to a degree and it can't compensate for big movements. So you will get ghosting. It can compensate for handhelds because actually I've I've never shot HDR with a tripod interestingly. It's always been handheld. It, so it compensates for handheld. Someone moving their heads, no it, it won't compensate for that. You'll get quite an, an interesting effect. You'll get this sort of ghost effects like like you do with a long exposure if someone moves their head because essentially it it is a long exposure with a few breaks in really yeah so it, it does compensate but if you want if you want a really sharp picture with no ghosting and no strange artifacts or a little bit of haloing HDR probably isn't for you because you have you will have such a low success rate
1: I mean, I, I, I'm with you on the minimising the, the disturbing colours of the, 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 the early days of HDR. I mean, I know that within the, uh, certainly within the Canon cameras, there's, there's a few options if you're going to do, have the camera create your HDR. And to my mind, the best one is the natural one, which is kind of the default, because all of the art ones take it quite extreme,
0: to my certainly to what I, I think of HDR. Some of them can, can look really good. And some of them have their place like in I don't know a HDR and like a, a disused building with that type of effect can look OK and can sort of convey the mood of, of the mood and atmosphere of, of the location. Yeah, most of the time it, it's, it's not something I would go to. And there were various presets that my HDR soft had and one was like, called something like natural, one was grunge, one was extreme. And of course, within those presets, you can, you can adjust things as well and tone it down. And, and I invariably went for natural and took a layer of toning it down as well. My HDR images, I didn't want anyone to look at them and say, yep, that is HDR. I wanted someone to look at it and not know it as a HDR, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think if it's, if it's subtle enough, then unless somebody looks at it with, a let's say, a knowledgeable eye, it should to my mind it shouldn't it shouldn't be obviously an hdr picture so i mean i i do have some colleagues who do quite a lot of buildings and interiors and so for them hdr is a, a very much a, a common thing the camera's locked up on a tripod and they've taken a few exposures because they've got that big range of tones between the shadows in the corner of a room and bright sunlight coming through the windows on the other side ultimately HDR is pretty much the way to do it, short of going and putting neutral density filters or film on the outside of the windows.
0: That is probably the best use of of HDR, is those sort of inside the building, I'm going to call them estate agent shots, and and I don't want to be disrespectful to people who take them or estate agents, but getting lots of range in the room while not having a white window, essentially. So I think the
1: other one that I'm certainly, I mean, some of the stuff I see for magazines I write for where people write in with questions one of the things you often see is people want about taking pictures in churches and cathedrals so you've got really nice, beautiful stained glass windows great sun streaming through them and then you've got the darkest recesses of the corners of the church and that's a very common case where people end up using HDR
0: yeah and hopefully not capturing people walking about in those images as well
1: I think it's a case of ask permission from the relative. Uh, from the relevant people and try and get
0: in before there's too many other people in the place. The church is a very good example because churches are dark, but then you have light coming in from the outside through the stained glass windows. And it's just very difficult to capture that consistently without blowing one out or really dropping one to a a black colour. It's it's really difficult. So yeah, HDR is fantastic for those sort of things. I was going to say, I've actually done a HDR portrait And how do you think it turned out? assuming the fact that you're talking about it means that it was a certain degree of success. You've hedged your bets there, haven't you? A certain degree of success. I never used it. And you can imagine the reason I never used it, even though the person stood very still. When you went into 100%, you could see ever such slight ghosting just on their sort of outline. And it meant I, I didn't use it. But... They were wearing a very dark leather jacket against a very bright background on a on a very sunny day. So it made sense to give it a go, and I used oh, I think it's um, HDR by AuroraSoft to process that image. But ultimately, I I could never get what I wanted. It was it became not impossible, but it became too fiddly to get get everything as sharp as I wanted to. So ultimately, I have given it a go for portraits, but I'll, I suppose I'll go back to your your. Your comment. I had a varying degree of success, but not enough success to make it a, an image that I've used on my portfolio.
1: I think my own approach on something like that would simply to be to bring light to the relevant bits that are dark. So quite often, you know, a lot of my when I'm shooting, when I'm photographing people and things, that indoors or out, it doesn't matter. Invariably, I'm lighting them, and I'm lighting not everything in sight. I can't light half of a, a hillside. But if the person's backlit, then I can get the exposure for the hillside to be looked at how I look, how I need it. And then by the application of light on the person in the shadows, I can I can compress the range that so it can be captured in one image.
0: Yeah, um, that was uh, I I do shoot most most portrait sessions with a with a flash, but just couldn't be bothered that day because we were outside. We're walking about. We're doing quite quite a lot of different locations and. Uh, invariably I have shot with flash on those type of things but that was one day I just couldn't be bothered with it in all honesty
1: I can't believe there's days when you can't be bothered to shoot with flash
0: <laughs> well it's it's the light stands it's you know the, the flash itself is fine the, the camp lugging around a DSLR I, I've often talked about particularly on this podcast how I like to travel lights I'm happy to lug around a DSLR with one lens for a, you know a certain shoot Maybe happy to bring a flash, maybe happy to bring a small modifier. But if it's just me, then I need a light stand. You know, it start, it's start. starting to get heavy. It's starting to go from light and nimble to really needing a team. And sadly, a t- I don't have a team. I wish I did. I wish I had an assistant, but I don't
1: talk about carrying smaller and lighter cameras i mean i'm i'm, I'm one i I use a variety of cameras partly because of the training thing so i have generally i usually have two or three different models of cameras floating around recently i've picked up a very small baby 200d which is a tiny little camera and in fact i've been impressed with it it's it is small and light and you mix that with a a simple flash and a, a light stand and a smallish light stand and it isn't it isn't that bad but yeah, I, I know where you where you're coming from with when you start talking about taking multiple flashes and multiple light stands on location, it becomes you end up looking like a pack horse,
0: and it it slows you down and in a way can put up a barrier on on the shoot, especially if the person you're shooting with isn't particularly experienced. You know, when you're you are fiddling about, like it or not, even if you're using a reflector and you just bring a reflector that is time that you're fiddling about when you're not just taking the shot. And it does mean setup is ever so slightly longer.
1: Perhaps it's not exactly HDR in the, in the true sense, but it's more a case of a, way, the, a thought about controlling the or adjusting the brightness range that's in front of your camera in a different way.
0: Yeah, I mean, ph- photography is all about considering the light and HDR is just another way to do that. Really, technology is finding ways of helping us take better shots.
1: I've been digital for way too many years now I mean I literally started at the end of 1995 being digital and it is quite amazing how things have moved on and also how the the range of capabilities that are in
0: the cameras has developed over that 20 odd years. You must have seen some huge differences in sensors you know sensor technology from Today, back to 1995, must must be huge leaps forward.
1: The first, one of the first cameras I had in my hands had stunning resolution of 0.57 megapixels.
0: Was that a pro camera? Well, they,
1: ultimately, due to its cost, it was notionally a pro camera. It wasn't an SLR. Yeah, early days of digital were
0: expensive, weren't they?
1: Nowadays, we have cameras three, £400, pounds, which deliver amazing results yes yes and and for most people that that's all that's needed isn't it obviously the challenge from uh, to camera makers is probably these phone things how do we differentiate our products what do we do better what do we what and is it is what we do better enough to convince people to to carry a slightly bigger, different single-purpose device rather than the multi-purpose phone.
0: Yes, I, I often wonder where camera manufacturers will go next. Sensor technology, it's very good in new sensors. Is is it going to improve at the rate it's been improving at to get here? Uh, I would imagine it would level off now.
1: Like anything, when, it, when a technology is new, the jumps are quite large. As it becomes maturer, then the jumps become smaller. Doesn't matter what it is.
0: No, I agree with that totally. And I think we're starting to see the maturity of the digital. In fact, we probably saw the maturity of the digital camera industry some time ago, but it's certainly becoming more apparent.
1: In the very early days, when it literally, when I have you know, it's just starting, when digital was really just starting. And in those days, Fuji and Kodak had something like 70% of the value of the business, and it was basically printing. And you could look, you can turn around and say, in 15 years, that
0: disappeared yes yes definitely why print when you can just look at it on a screen will be most people's view on that lots of things changed in parallel you
1: know the access to computing and and displays and you know mobile phones even at that point changed a lot but ultimately the the business the the, photography changed for majority of people from something that you bought a consumable for and in order that you could see your results you had to get somebody else to do things to it and you went to a case where you took a picture and you, it, was on, it was on your screen in front of you.
0: Not everyone had a screen, so you always got a print, really. And you didn't really want to look at a transparency of a negative, because for most people it wouldn't make sense looking at a negative image that was tiny, holding it up to a light. That's not how people want to view things. They want to see prints that are positives. So printing made sense then, and looking at things on screen makes sense now, doesn't it?
1: getting us vaguely back to our HDR track, the key here will be how does, how
0: well, I mean, have you printed much HDR work? The vast majority of printing is sort of, for me, family pictures. But yes, I have, I have printed some nice landscape images that have gone up on the wall, that HDR, things like bridges that have been shot very low. It, It made perfect sense to do HDR because it was an overcast day. So HDR allowed me to not only capture in the sky that it was a very, bleak and overcast day but allow me to capture detail within the shadows of the arches of the bridge because I was at such a low angle. So um yeah, um maybe three of the three HDR images are up on my wall
1: because I mean, I think that's a, that's another thing in the, in terms of you can we can produce things, you know, from a technical computing basis, we can create an HDR image, but what point do you reach the range the no the capability of the printers and paper that you're going to print it with because it's quite readily possible as long as you keep enough dynamic range in the image that you'll exceed what a printer or paper can
0: achieve yes yes quite possibly
1: maybe the case will get to a point where let's say the range of sensors increases and it's going to be it's already you know if you look at a raw it's already
0: slightly bigger than what most screens can handle the need does the need for hdr continue that's a very good question there is less of a need now for hdr with with sensors getting better and when i took those pictures it was sort of talking talking 10 year around 10 years ago when i took the pictures that were, were up on my wall that i took as hdrs i must confess i haven't done much hdr since but still there's a need you know most cameras and particularly older cameras don't have a, a wonderful dynamic range so I think there is still a need for HDR as it does allow you to extend your dynamic range without shelling out for the newest Sony camera.
1: Oh, of course, the other the, the other landscape people will argue that well, you use you use the relative uh, neutral or you know, the relevant neutral density filters or graduated filters, and you balance the scene in camera.
0: Well, it's it's not the end of the day carrying a a neutral dens uh, a graduated neutral density filter but it, it's just more time setting up it's more faff at the time it's much easier to sit in your house and and do it in software really and don't forget i'm not after these for a professional outcome i'm not selling the these images that i've taken with hdr if it's good it goes up on the wall if not i had an enjoyable time walking around a certain building i had an enjoyable time hiking up a mountain type thing if i don't get the perfect image It's actually not the end of the world for me. I think we're going to come to the end of the podcast. I think we've talked about HDR much longer than I anticipated. And probably I don't think there's anything left to cover in HDR. Do leave a comment. Please leave a review on iTunes. You've been listening to the 1 160th of a Second podcast. Thank you very much.